Google gifts given to royals. Fantastic stuff, let me tell you. Let me give you some examples. Let me enlighten you of what the royals, particularly Queen Elizabeth, but I've got a special one to finish with. So uh, when Queen Elizabeth II and the Duke of Edinburgh were married in 1947, does anyone know what the, the government of Australia gave them? I doubt you do. They, they gave the happy newlyweds 500 tins of canned pineapple. Put on your burger, put on your pizza. There's a bit of debate, isn't it? And start those fighting words, putting on pizza. Anyway, what for? What happened there? Anyway, I don't know what sort of advice they were given. Um, in 1968, upon her visit to Brazil, Queen Elizabeth received two sloths, like the animal. Sort of a bit uncool these days, you know? Um, in the same vein, in 1972, the Cameroon government gave the Queen an adult African elephant. <laughs> How do you put that on carry-on? I don't know. <laughs> Wheeled on. Anyway, it turned out that the, um, the, uh, the African elephant ended up in London Zoo. So, there you go. Now, this is my favourite one. Um, this is a, a wedding gift that the Saudi Arabian king, Abdullah, gave his daughter... Now, uh, I've mentioned this before. I like to bring it up every couple of weeks if I can because this is just so cool. Uh, the Saudi Arabian king, Abdullah, gave his daughter, on, as a wedding gift, a golden toilet. Yeah. A golden toilet with all the trimmings. Talk about sitting on the throne, hey? So when the Magi from the East, that we read about earlier, met Jesus, well, they were overjoyed, weren't they? Uh, they worshipped him, they, they paid homage, and they gave gifts to this king, the king of the Jews, the Christ, which means king, Messiah, God's long-awaited king. But unlike some of the gifts that were, that were given to the queen, uh, what was given to King Jesus actually was standard affair, pretty normal sort of stuff. That is, expensive presents, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Were they symbolic? Well, maybe. Gold, that's a typical gift for a king, hence the golden toilet. Uh, frankincense, used in temple worship by the high priest, and the New Testament speaks of Jesus being our perfect high priest as he mediates between us and God. Myrrh. That, that's used to embalm bodies at burial and perhaps pointing to Jesus' sacrificial death? Maybe. Possibly symbolic, but more likely such symbolism is asking a little too much of the Magi. What is clear that, the, that these gifts were, were simply gifts uh, fit for a king. But what sort of king would Jesus be? I can bet you, put, put my house on it, that that's what they were talking about, these Magi, as they travelled their long journey from the east to Bethlehem. And then as they returned, I can bet you they were saying to each other, what sort of king is this king going to be? What sort of king will he be? What sort of king would Jesus be? Now today I want to share with you a couple answers to that question and then I want to talk about what our response might be. If Jesus is who he said he is, then we're going to make a response, you and I. We need to do that. So here's the first, uh, something that Matthew tells us in his biography of Jesus, his, um, his gospel, and something the rest of the Bible makes very clear, that Jesus was no ordinary king. 
Not only was Jesus' birth not very kingly, he was born in humble circumstances in an animal's feeding trough, away from the clean sheets and, and fresh water and comforts of an inn, but Jesus was also born of Mary, and to put it bluntly, Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. As Matthew points out in, uh, in fulfilment of the Micah 5 prophecy, and we see this in Matthew 2 verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who is shepherd my people, Israel. Bethlehem may have been a lowly town, but that's not the case anymore. Now it's famous because God's king had come from Bethlehem. And Jesus' life, well, Jesus' life was not really the life of a king, was it? Or any royal for that matter. The, the gifts dried up quickly. When he travelled the countryside, he, he wasn't always welcomed. In fact, sometimes he was forced out of towns. Even his, his, his hometown he was forced out of. Can you imagine Queen Elizabeth being kicked out of London? And of course, in his death, he was despised, rejected, humiliated and betrayed. But Jesus did not come to be an ordinary king. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to serve, not to be served and receive gifts and paid homage to, nothing like that, like a normal king. Jesus would go on to explain to his disciples in, in later on in Matthew chapter 20 that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. We'll find out why in a minute. That's what's so extraordinary about Jesus' kingship. He would serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. See, normally kings, when, uh, when, well, normally kings wouldn't go into battle. Right? But, but if they had to go in, into battle, they'd be surrounded by highly trained guards and soldiers. And what these guards and soldiers would often cry out during the battle is, protect the king. Protect the king. And literally are surrounded by these, the, the best guards. Protect the king. Protect the king. And many guards would lose their life protecting the king. But this king, we read about in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, this king, instead of having his life preserved, well, Jesus actually promises that he gives his life up. The Bible tells us that his life was a gift for you and for me. That's no ordinary king, is it? Jesus, the not-so-ordinary king, is God's gift to the world and to us. That's the second thing about Jesus we ought to remember today as we think about what sort of king Jesus is. Jesus is God's gift to the world. But how? How is Jesus God's gift to the world? That's a big claim, isn't it? Imagine if I walked around saying, I am God's gift to the world. I think you'd think of me differently, wouldn't you? Um, well, remember the words that the angel said to the shepherds. I've got it up on the screen there. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I'm going to come back to that phrase in a minute. But in verse 11, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, or Christ the Lord. Jesus is a saviour, a rescuer. 
for he will save his people from their sins. As Matthew recorded the angel's words when, jo- Joseph, uh, when, when the angel named Jesus, you are to call him Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins. By his sacrificial death some 33 years later, Jesus paid the price for our sin, our rejection of God. We all do it so that we could be right with God, so that we can be friends with God rather than enemies, so that we can have eternal life with him. So death would be conquered as we put our trust in him. Jesus is our saviour because he saves us from the consequences of our sin, which in the end is death. Jesus gave up his life so that we might live. If you you get a chance on these school holidays, a little excursion, right, if you get a chance, go to Cronulla um, and go to the Surf Life Saving Club at Cronulla, Cronulla and see if you can find a little plaque There's a little plaque there that's dedicated to a guy called Jim Perryman. Let me tell you about Jim Perryman. Most of us wouldn't have heard about him, um, but he's got a great story. Here's what made him famous. It was the afternoon of February 19, 1950. Jim Perryman, I think I've got a little picture of him actually. There he is. Uh, Jim Perryman was on patrol. Although the beach was closed on the day, it was a really large swell, um, tricky conditions, all that going on. Well, lifeguards saw a girl in trouble. This girl's name was Daphne Knowles. She was 16 and she was being, well, she was being swept out to sea in a, in a quite a well-known, a notorious rip that's still around today. It's actually a really great surfing break, but anyway, that's another, another story. It's called the Alley. Um, you can surf off the Alley. But it's a, it's a really dangerous rip. It's a dangerous current. Well, she cries out. She raises her hand and starts waving around as the story goes. But Jim, Jim was the first to respond. And he grabbed his harness while the other men manned the rope. Uh, that, that was, of course, how they did things in those days. There's no jet skis or surf skis to, or anything like that to paddle out or paddle boards. Jim reaches the girl and, and she's struggling for breath. If you've watched Bondi Rescue a little bit, you know, they do the ladders and all that sort of stuff, trying to grasp whatever they can. And that, that's where she's at. Well, Jim hooks her into the harness and signals to be pulled in. But what no one can see is that there's a large bank of seaweed between uh, Jim and Daphne and the men on the beach pulling them in. There's a large bank of seaweed about halfway into the shore that's weighing down the line. So as they are pulled in, they're both pulled under the water. Well, when they get to the shore, both are not breathing. And after much frantic attempts, Daphne recovers, but Jim loses his life. The thing is, with this story, is that Jim could have let go at any moment. He could have just let go and saved his life, his own life. Would have been easy for him to do, but he didn't do that. In fact, as as they pull, when, they, when they pull them both in onto the beach, Jim had his back turned to the beach, which means that it's really a sign that he was doing all he can to save Daphne, lifting her up, literally, as he was pulled under and pulled in. Daphne cried out and a rescuer came and the rescuer gave his life so that she might live. See, friends, on the, on the cross... Jesus, our rescuer, our saviour, died in our place, gave his life so that we might live. 
Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, he called this the great exchange. Basically, it's, it's pretty simple, really. Christianity is pretty simple. It, it's, it's death for life. It's a substitute. Jesus died as our substitute. He died for our sins. The righteous dies for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And that's why the angel announced that this is good news. That's why he said it. You might be thinking, oh, Graham's giving an Easter sermon. No, I'm not. No, no, no. That's why the angel said this is good news, because we can be friends with God again and not enemies, because Jesus died in our place. He died for our sins. A saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. God's gift to the world was the life of his son, his not-so-ordinary king. But let's come back a minute. Let's come back before I sort of wrap things up. Let's come back to these words in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Remember when I said I'd come back to these words? Jesus is a saviour for all the people. His offer of rescue is for all the people. Not some of the people. Jesus is, Jesus is God's loving gift for, all the, for the world. A couple of weeks ago, we spent some time here in this service uh, at our 10 a.m. service thinking about the genealogy at the start of Matthew's gospel. Um, now, look, it would be fair to say that most of us don't get really excited about the genealogy at the start of Matthew's gospel. Uh, but I reckon we should. We should get excited about this genealogy. And I want to tell you another reason why today you should get excited about the genealogy of Matthew's Gospel. And if you want it read through, Adrian read it really well for us a couple of weeks ago. He'd love to read it again for you after the service. <laughs> he did a great job. Um, if you read through the genealogy, or get Adrian to read it for you, um, you come across five women. One of them, of course, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. So she doesn't really need an introduction. But five women mentioned in a patriarchal society, a patriarchal genealogy, is already interesting. That's another sermon in itself. It tells us something about the early Christians' radical countercultural view of women. But what's more interesting right for us right now is the story behind these women. For one, all apart from Mary are non-Israelites. They're non-Jews. But there's a bit more. So the first one mentioned is, is, is Tamar, this woman called Tamar, Matthew 1 verse 3. Tamar gave birth to twin sons of her father-in-law. Ooh, okay. That's a, there's a story, isn't it? Um, Rahab. Rahab was a Jericho prostitute. Ruth, she's mentioned as well. She's from Moab. Now, Moab, well, the Moabites, the Israelites were strictly forbidden to go anywhere near the Moabites. They were, they were unclean, is the Old Testament word. And then there's Bathsheba. She's the last one mentioned. Well, Bathsheba's famous because she had an affair with King David. Why is this all significant? Well, first, first God's grace is for everyone and anyone. That's the first thing to, to, to hear. Not just for Israelites, non-Israelites too. In other words, outsiders. Jesus died for them too. Remember the wise men? Well, they were outsiders, weren't they? Yet they're mentioned here in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus, his death is for anyone who believes in him. And second, all this tells us 
that God overcomes the effect of sin, the effects of sin and shame as he works out his purposes in the world. There is no sin too big for God to forgive. That's what Matthew wants his readers to hear today. That's what God wants us to hear. You see, Jesus understands what it's like to have sin and shame in your family story. I want to say that again. It's really important. Jesus understands what it's like to have sin and shame in your family story. Whatever, that, whatever it is that causes us to shame, uh, from our disobedience of God to abuse in our past, uh, to, to painful memories that continue to linger, Jesus understands. He knows what it's like. He's got a family like that too. His genealogy proves it. In fact, it was to save the kind of people who appear in Jesus' family tree that Jesus came. Uh, the Apostle Paul learned this, actually. He, he wrote this. He said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Jesus is God's king, who is God's gift to all the people. But what gift could possibly be suitable in response to God's gifts? Here's our response. For most of us, Christmas is about presents. I hope you got a few good presents this morning. I've got a lot of underwear. How about that? <laughs> Maybe my family is saying something to me. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but what gift can I offer King Jesus? What can I... Should I search out some gold, frankincense and myrrh? Put it in the offertory bag? We don't do an offertory bag. Just in case you're wondering, you should do that. Um... What, how should I respond to God's coming king? So the coming of God's king. That's the clue in the found in this verse here uh, from a, a wonderful, um, wonderful um, old carol. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. What can I offer Jesus? Well, I tell you, on the one hand, absolutely nothing. On the other hand, everything. Let me explain. See, there is nothing we can do, offer or give to Jesus to make us right with him, to impress him. Nothing we can do to, to, nothing we can do to pay homage, if you like. Nothing. Why? Because Jesus has done it all. Nothing. We need to come to Jesus actually with empty hands, empty hands, and saying, I've, I've got nothing. Uh, Lord, forgive me. I trust in you. I've got nothing to impress you. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm short. Uh, but on the other hand, we can come to King Jesus and give him everything. Our whole lives. All our gold. All our incense, if you like. All our myrrh. All our hearts. That is, with loving hearts. See that line there? Focus up here, folks. Let loving hearts enthrone him. That's how we can respond. We can give him everything, even though we've got nothing. And the great promise of Jesus is that he accepts us and he loves us and he forgives us. And that's why he came. I want to encourage you to do that today. With loving hearts, enthrone him. Make him ruler of your life. Of your life. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says that when we come to Jesus in faith or trust... Uh, the verse says, I haven't got it up there actually, but it says, For it, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. What is it? It's the gift of God. How about I pray for us? And um, 
Actually, then Michelle's going to continue to pray. So I'll pray now, and she's going to continue. Father, we thank you for your um, loving kindness to us. We thank you, Lord God, that you sent your son Jesus to save us, to rescue us, because we needed rescue. And perhaps today, there are some here who need rescue, who need to acknowledge their saviour and put their trust in him. And we pray that that's the case, we'll do that. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you send us, send us a saviour. And we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure it's going to keep you going.